This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, in their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyers Bay, Dunedin, and I'm joined today by Oliver Bates from Bolton. Welcome. Hi, Sam. Thanks for having me on. How's it going in your bubble? Oh, that's an interesting question to unpack. Um, I think, <laughs> I, awkwardly, I want to start with work. It's pretty normal um, for me. I've done a lot of homeworking recently um, because I live about an hour away from my job at university in Lancaster. So I've got a quite good setup here with the desk and things, fairly comfortable, quite used to homeworking. Um, but I am kind of in the kitchen. It's uh, in the <laughs> dining room area. It's, it's, they kind of, whoever owns the house extended it out, but this is awkward. I'm in the dining room and the kitchen at the same time. So I, Okay, regularly, me and my wife, uh, yeah, there's lots of pot, you know, it's awkward using a kitchen while you're sat trying to work <laughs> and stuff sometimes. And Joe, my wife, is a microbiologist, and she was at peak, like, lab work um, when we all got um, sent out isolation and, like, the university clothes that she works at, uh, doing a PhD at, sorry. Um, so she's uh, had an interesting transition away from lab work, but we're, we're doing okay. I think we're a bit frustrated with not being able to socialize and kind of go and be at peace in the world and find our own spaces. But we've got a cat and a couple of guinea pigs, a little garden. Things are things are okay, considering. And I haven't made it to your house. Are you able to get out and there's things to do that you're allowed to get to? Yeah, so we live uh, just on the edge of the West Pennine Moors in the, like, a, like a town suburb called Horwich. Um, so it's nice for walks. You can go cycling, mountain biking, kind of bridleways. Um, not too many people out and about, which is good. So we're in a because it's small. It's not it's not really in urban areas. Just a lot of kind of small houses, fairly local. Uh, Greater Manchester kind of small town, which is good. So yeah, we've been doing okay with that. It started raining yesterday, today, but we've had like ten days of quite good sun here in the UK. So yeah, we've been we've been getting out, which has been good. And are you keeping in contact with family and so on? Is it the beauty of this of it coming at this time when we're, everybody's able to connect? Um, yeah, so my mum turned 70 in December and we had our first FaceTime a few weeks ago, which was yeah. a, bit of a, a bit of a landmark occasion with me looking at her chin. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's been good. My sister and her fiancé, we've chatted with them, some friends and stuff, uh, a lot of my friends and work colleagues as well, so kind of work meetings and stuff. So that's worked out okay. Um, there's a couple of people that I do get concerned for. You know, you've got friends who maybe aren't great, like texting, communicating back, who maybe aren't in the best uh, mental health. It's been kind of hard checking up on them and stuff. 
but uh, you know i've walked past some houses to make sure people are okay um, so yeah it's been it's been okay lots of lots of chatting and stuff let's put your first music selection on which one should we have billy bragg yeah go for that waiting for the great leap forward why did you choose this one um so I was just saying to you before we came on air, um, I had a bit of a kind of a political awakening, I guess, in, wanting to get involved in politics for the first time. I joined the Labour Party and I've been listening to Billy Bragg since I was a teenager, but the politics didn't really come to me. And this song's a bit of a kind of a hopeful song about solidarity and kind of a left wing movement, Labour movement, um, in my eyes anyway. Um, I quite like the swell towards the end. It starts off nice and acoustic and it's this big build and a kind of like a chorus. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a nice. I don't know, it gets my it gives me goosebumps. I listen to it. It may have been Camelot for Jack and Jacqueline, but on the Che Guevara Highway, filling up with gasoline. Fidel Castro's brother spies a rich lady who's crying over the luxury's disappointment so he walks over and he's trying to sympathise with her but he thinks that he should warn her that the third world is just around the corner Soviet Union, a scientist is blinded by the resumption of nuclear testing and he is reminded that Dr. Robert Oppenheimer's optimism fell at the first hurdle. only noise I hear is the sound of someone stacking chairs and mopping up spilled beer and someone asking questions and basking in the light of the 15 fame-filled minutes of the fanzine writer. Mixing pop and politics he asks me what the use is I offer him embarrassment and my usual excuses While looking down the corridor Out to where the van is waiting I'm looking for the right leap forward Jungle sales are organised There's still parties to be hosted You can be active with the activists Or sleeping with the sleepers While you're waiting for the drive to leap forwards Oh, one leap forwards, two leaps back Will politics get me the sack? Waiting for the drive to leap forwards Well, here comes the future and you can't run for it If you've got a blacklist, I want to be on it Right, 
we're looking for a great leap forward as we come out of this eventually i i don't know uh, with my optimist hat on which only occasionally comes out <laughs> i think i think it's gonna need to be well you know me sam quite call it how i see it um but uh, i think there's lots of little pockets of hope and people coming together and doing the right thing uh, and kind of community values coming out, I think, uh, whether it's around fundraising for our frontline health services and carers or about kind of rec- recognition of people. Um, I think politically, uh, <laughs> it might be challenging, you know, it, depending on how well the government do, there's a lot of conservative, more right-wing leaning governments, and they might get some credit for successfully getting through these kinds of things so it might strengthen that and so for me that would be a bit of a that wouldn't be a great leap forward that would be kind of some mud in the path i think um if you're talking about politics i guess there's also this kind of unspoken thing about the boon of all the activities that everybody gets up to you know imagine quarantine stops completely and people can go back to flying go on a holiday you know people are going to go you know there's some people will have money saved up. Other people will just have been trapped. People will do things they've not been able to do in months. And I don't know if that's a great leap forward. In terms of carbon footprint, that could be quite interesting. Um, I want, I, you know, I guess there's a concern there about what that leap looks like globally. You know, when everybody comes back to milling about and being able to be mobile. Do you think there's going to be an effect of the 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 slowing down, the calming? Everybody's seems to be appreciating the 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 slowing down the the you know being at home with their families and not spending all the time commuting and so on it it all people almost seem not not upset but reluctant to give up on that yeah i think i definitely um i've enjoyed having Jo around a lot more and she said to me the other day that she's enjoyed it too I guess for some people it's been really she has to say that now she's stuck in a house with you well yeah yeah, sure but we've got a good strong relationship Sam thank you we're not one of those (laughs) 
couples at each other's throats. We're young and in love, please. Um, <laughs> but I think some, you know, companies, organisations, institutions are having to recognise that working from home is possible now, and actually, I don't, I don't, I don't care about productivity. That's not what I'm about. I'm about kind of feeling fulfilled, and I, I hope there's. You know, people are able to recognise that, particularly managers and people who can change the way that organisations are run and structured to support more people having a slower, more flexible life, and you know, not having to, not being forced to take time off um, because f- family needs to come first sometimes. Um, I think there's a kind of a really wholesome thing there. I hope that's one of the long-lasting kind of impacts of all of this. What do you think that we can do to encourage the things that we want to see stick? Well, I think there's standing up for those things, uh, kind of pointing to the fact that we all got through this. <laughs> we all did these things. Some people made sacrifices or whatever, um, but that it's possible to kind of continue life, society, the economy in certain ways at certain speeds without, you know, I, I think what we need to do, I, I don't know, as an individual, um, a citizen, a voter, whatever, you, you know, your power is in your vote and kind of writing to people, your politicians, as an academic, it's going to be lobbying my uh, my managers and talking about these kinds of things at like the University Senate and pushing that for kind of my peers and other early career researchers kind of some sort of culture change around that i don't know what that i don't know nationally you know you can have impacts in your communities i guess thinking about who's perhaps been left out you know people who with lower digital literacy for example or like not good access to the internet or without families or like or jobs that have been taken away you know people will have been hit quite hard and kind of remembering those people and thinking about how to be more resilient in communities um as as a community member, I think it's really important moving forward, and that's something I I want to kind of be involved in. Um, I think that's something a lot of people could maybe do too. You know, people are volunteering, they're stepping up and doing things like that now uh, because they've got more time, in particular. Liesel Mitchell is a downtown dweller, urban explorer, and conversationalist, observing city life in lockdown. Hi there, bubble people out there in bubble land from uh, Bubble Liesel, <laughs> Liesel's Bubble, something like that. Uh, it's a big hello to you all and I hope you are doing well and having, an, having a great day. Uh, I, am, I am in the process of thinking about our city and this is from lots of different perspectives as I'm living in the city, in the downtown area, which is a real privilege I think and a really I think exciting place to live although over the last few weeks it has been very quiet Uh, but I think our cities and this is something that I'm interested in so indulge me for a little here Um, (laughs) our cities are designed I guess originally they were designed for um, the way that we moved as humans with probably limited transport and uh, pretty sort of um, 
I'm guessing relying on walking and getting around via public transport, uh, things like trams and um, horses probably to start with, horses and carts, and then we uh, moved to sort of more of a public transport network and then obviously as cars became more uh, a part of our lives, cities have um, adapted to make way for traffic, which now governs a lot of the way our city moves. And over this last few weeks, as I've been wandering the city on my legs, as I tend to do, because I don't drive, so uh, I am coming at this from a position of not being a driver, so I realise that this will resonate with some people and not so much with others, because it does challenge our driving thinking. Um, that I've noticed uh, just how wonderful it is not having cars around, that I can choose the way I want to walk through the city without having to be governed by the, the cars, by, by traffic. Because once you've got cars in the mix, it actually stops some of the decisions that I would make. Um, well, decisions that I've been making without cars on the road, I've been able to choose particular routes I want to walk that I know I don't have to wait for traffic or um, this is a busy road so I won't cross here or need to wait for the lights in order to cross that road. Um, I've not only just crossed the road wherever I wanted to, but I've also gone different routes that maybe on days that are busy I wouldn't go because um, the traffic's noisy or it's really close to the footpath. Um, I noticed walking on Portsmouth Drive um, it's just lovely without any cars but then as soon as you get a few cars coming along you realise you're sort of um, right up close to the cars and uh, it's noisy and it's smelly and it actually takes away from some of that sort of uh, enjoyment of the walk. So I'm interested that our cities are for people, we all live here, but, but we have become rather... Uh, influenced I think and and to some degree completely ignorant to this because we just go with it and it's our go-to we jump in our car we go somewhere the roads are made for the cars off we go but I think in, in some way we're missing something there because walking definitely makes us appreciate our space it slows things down it allows us to to re release some of the stress that is in our lives I have been using walking totally as a meditative tool and I've noticed as traffic sort of grows a little bit, um, it's harder to actually sort of meditate as you walk, although that's maybe the challenge. I've got to be able to do that even if there is noise and traffic. But actually being able to take that time to enjoy the space that you're in. And I think if it was a, if walking was more of an option, uh, if we saw that as one of our go-to for the way that we we get around. Um, I wonder how the city would be configured and I wonder how that space would start to flourish in different ways. Um, now I know that some people will disagree with me here but I would love to see how we could create Dunedin as, as more of a walking space. I think we would notice a change in our well-being and I, it's something I've noticed over the last few weeks. So I'm just going to put that out there. I'll see what people think. Um, feel free to comment or get in touch or say what you think. Uh, I would love to see how we could evolve that idea. Right, on that note, thank you for your, for your listening ears. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of the afternoon and uh, take care of yourselves.
What research are you doing at the moment? So I'm looking at uh, how to empower and kind of help uh, couriers, specifically those kind of like delivering parcels and food uh, who are working in the gig economy. So we're looking at kind of platforms like Deliveroo and Uber Eats and kind of how those workers are being marginalized and made vulnerable by these big digital platforms that make them kind of compete against each other for work. Um, it's kind of come off the back of a sustainable logistics project. Um, and actually, someone asked me when I presented uh, kind of a paper on kind of ways to help workers be more efficient and optimal in doing parcel work and potentially helping them make better wages, whether they're actually engaged with gig economy workers. Um, so that kind of provoked me into doing some projects. I actually ended up doing a project with Ben in the end, Ben Kerman from the University of York. Um, and we just we got we did a couple of workshops actually with couriers just before lockdown happened here in the UK. So kind of early mid March. So it was really eye opening to go and run these workshops with kind of we, our mindset was a bit like you know people are doing this work out of necessity or out of a kind of part time you know part time work that they need to do as students or whatever because that's kind of what the PR and marketing says about like lifestyle couriers, people using their own vehicles and doing stuff. And, and we actually met these people who were working really bloody hard, working, you know, riding hun hundreds and hundreds of miles a week, you know, constantly working really intense, kind of high intensity bicycling around cities like in York and Manchester. Um, and, you know, they, they, they've got an entrepreneurial spirit. I don't like the baggage associated with on entrepreneurship and that kind of neoliberal um, well, that means in that kind of society but these people are driven you know they're doing their own taxes they know how to claim they look at look out for themselves and their communities so it's really interesting to kind of get a glimpse at that whole community of couriers uh, particularly those who are kind of we, we managed to talk to some people who are part of the union the independent workers union of great britain career branch as well there's really kind of interesting hearing about how some of the strikes had happened and you know, power the union and how people were thinking about cooperatives and different models of work. So yeah, that's been really interesting. Um, and we're kind of doing, looking at doing a next phase of work where we were thinking about helping them build digital tools or different kinds of a toolkit to kind of help them look at their own data. Because, because you know, these platforms have no transparency about um, how, who's getting the work, how much work you've done. You know, you, you can request these things through um, kind of policies like GDPR. You can get all your data or whatever back. But, like, if you're a courier, you might not have, like, a data science background. So, like, trawling through millions of data records is perhaps a challenging thing. Or even understanding how these algorithms are working against you. So, inspired by a conversation I had with Jamie Woodcock, um, thinking about who's, who was a... Oxford Internet Institute, um, but he's done kind of like game jams with people in the game industry to kind of explain kind of big, because there's a lot of problems in the game industry around kind of workers' rights. Um, so be, and so he's been using interesting, like turning kind of hackathons and game jams of these exploitative kind of workshop style things into kind of slow, longer um, sessions to kind of help workers engage with workers' rights and stuff. Um, and he's also written a load of, of stuff in the economy. Uh, but anyway, he inspired this kind of thing. But then the lockdown happened. So we're kind of, at the moment, we're trying to work, 
you know, these are key workers, people, couriers, right? You know, there's people are still delivering, ordering things online. They're ordering meals. A lot of restaurants are shut though. So kind of, you know, the, the sector has been affected in different kinds of ways. So we're trying to work out at the moment ways to sensitively work with couriers and support them in this time. Because um, you, des- you described them as vulnerable. And well, yeah, for, now they're particularly because, vulnerable because they're being placed in yeah, harm's exactly. way. Yeah, so they are, you know, without PPE, a lot of them. There was an article I read somewhere about people who are handling COVID-19 samples, you know, these couriers um, or taxi drivers or whomever, you know, the, 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 the surplus logistics. I'm using air quotes. I know you can't see that. Um, with, and they're not being provided PPE by the people who are contracting them to do the work. Um, you know, a lot of the costs and a lot of the risk is all, you know, all the costs and all the risk is basically on their shoulders. And because they're self-employed or because they need, you know, how do you get a doctor's note if you can't go into the doctors to get access to some of the support that the platform has op- offered? So, that, you know, there's there's mechanisms for getting support, but they're really hard to kind of get to. Um because you kind of have to be employed by the platforms. Some platforms let you go if you're if you don't work for an amount of days, and if there's not enough work to do, you're not going to work. So then you're not eligible for kind of support as well. So it's really, really kind of messy time. But exactly what you were saying, you know, there's lots of different ways about how that vulnerability is made worse and compounded because these people are kind of essential parts of the supply chain. Uh, particularly given how so many people use these kind of apps and are using Amazon and, you know, same day, next day deliveries of all kinds. And and to kind of wrap that up, well, that thought up, um, a colleague of mine, Caroline Lord, we were chatting and she made a really good point about how, you know, overnight our government went, everybody stay at home and order things, you know, making these workers a vital part of the infrastructure without kind of any any support being put in place, without any precautions, you know, the platforms and employers and the carriers, they're not ready for that, right? You know, if all of a sudden they have to step up and fill in this void and work in these conditions, they weren't ready for it. And so it's really interesting how like a national policy can kind of completely disrupt an industry and put all the weight of this kind of like stay at home, being stuck in ho- at home and the needs that come along with that on the shoulders of these kind of vulnerable workers. Let's play Idols. I'm scum.
Can I ask you a question? Sure thing. Um, do you think it's weird how we talk a lot about kind of collapse and limits in some of our communities, yet something has happened and we completely weren't ready for it? Yes. I think that is... It, well, Not weird, but... but... But What's maybe we haven't had one, and yeah. the the response of the of computing has largely been, well, there's an app that we might make for contract <laughs> tracing that's working in some oh countries, and and we seem to think that we could get away with replacing the human contract tracing for that. But I've I've seen a thing that says this just shows how woefully non-representative of the rest of the world the silicon valley is and i'm not doing yeah. the physical just those people in silicon valley but the whole tech industry yep the idea that we can you know skype call or zoom call our way out of this one um and then push and see it as an opportunity opportunistic kind of time for so many people to develop the same app i mean it's such a why why there's a you know there's a critical moment where you need to come together and build it together. I mean, the, the, well. the, there's you're right. There's certainly you know imagine if we had had this 15 years ago. If we just do the the design fiction on the alternative history of mm -hmm. um, you know how would we have coped without being able to talk to our families? You know. Maybe it would have a different sort of hunkering down reading books. Um, but then there is a so so we, you know we have to be grateful for the the, the 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 Skype and stuff. My teaching is entirely online. It hasn't uh, for for me that hasn't changed anything. I really feel for the people whose teaching is teaching to very large lecture theatres because the the response has been to get those lectures online. And I think what they're realising mm -hmm. is that that's the easy bit. And that's not actually teaching. That's just doing a little, you know, that's a small part of the performance element. It's actually the connections yeah. with people that uh, that matters. So, but maybe that's going to push people to realise that, that it's not just about the lecture. It's actually about the engagement. It's about how do, you, how do you work with people. We are having individual mentoring sessions with every learner. But that's what we, in, in Capable New Zealand, where I work for, for Tiger Top Polytech, that's what we've always done. So we know that works, um, mm -hmm. and I, I really feel for the people whose approach to education is, is at such a scale that that doesn't um, that doesn't work. And then there are things like Mawira, who um, is my colleague and, and is um, often on this show. She's working really hard with her community in Fakatani to um, provide online shops. Um, so I think that there is a move to you know, helping community through what they're referring to as online local, um, particularly as we've got to this, what we're re referring to as level three, where places are allowed to be open again so long as it's entirely contactless. So people aren't allowed to go, go in and wander around the shop. You're allowed to order online and then pick it up from the door. Right. Um, so you know, most of the... While the big shops might have had platforms in place to do that already, 
Uh, the little places haven't. But that's not really something that the, the tech community is is doing. That's Not at all, no. Uh, and, and wasn't prepared for. I mean, we can't be expected to um, have, have expected every eventuality, but it's not as if a pandemic is an unheard of thing. No, and, and, and the response being, how can I get money and fame to do a thing versus how can I help the people next to me or in my communities? Because helping the people around you helps you in the long term, you know, keeps you healthy and safe as well. And it's just interesting that there's a complete, uh, I don't want to use the word values, but I'm going to, I guess like there's a complete like value and moral kind of dissonance between factions of the community and factions of the in- parts of the industry. Right. You know, and then with, the, with the local communities and people who are trying to do kind of grassroots projects to kind of support themselves and the people around them. Well, you know, the arguments that, sometimes part of that, you know, the arguments that we've had in the ICT for S, the Computing for Sustainability and, and the Limits um, um, communities about whether or not the, like the work that you're doing in terms of workers counts as sustainability. Because people think that it's sustainability is about environmental sustainability and this, this lurching off into society stuff is... is detracting from the message of sustainability now you and i have thought that they're wrong for a long time um but but even within the sustainability community there is a feeling that we should be focusing just on the environmental impacts and what this covert thing has laid bare for us is the connections the fact that this is integrated uh that mm-hmm. um that the you know the the society and the economy are the same thing and so any pleas to you know, protect the economy are falling largely on deaf ears because the politicians are rightly saying it's irrelevant until we, have, until we can ensure well-being. So, so that's really being brought to the fore. So I think that that, that connectedness of the, of the system is important. In this case, it doesn't have such an obvious or strong connection to the environment. But you know that I don't like the, the, the Venn diagram version of, of sustainability. I think it's way too simplistic and it leads itself to people thinking about that they can actually sensibly talk about environmental sustainability as, as if it's a thing where it's not. It's actually the integration of those things that is sustainable. Well, you were one of the first people that kind of pushed me into that kind of school of thought. And, you know, thank you for that, definitely. But definitely thought, been formative in, my, in who I am now, certainly. Um, and I think there's just a bit, there's not enough people in tech kind of standing up and doing that and pushing back. Um, there's lots of little projects, of course. There's lots of little people in design and in computer science. Don't get me wrong who are getting involved in kind of smaller scale projects. Um, but when the narrative is about data and contact tracing and not about community support and preparedness and, you know, it's, you know, so many things we could do, so many other things we could do as a community of technologists. 
that would have longer lasting benefit and actually help people than kind of modeling you know epidemiologists have been modeling things since then you know for a long time right um, i mean i think to, i know that's not the point you're making but i, I just think kind of, that, like, i'm still venting in my head i think that the that has been a move in the last few years to more collaborative and participatory not just developments but it's about how do we support a more participatory democracy those sorts of things and seeing those as contributing to a wider understanding of how we develop a a thriving regenerative sustainable future so so those are good those are good things and i think those are the areas that have have responded politics has all of a sudden come out from behind closed doors because it's had to i'm not sure it's more participatory but it's certainly more transparent bubble sprite of the forest of orokadui dunedin's favorite goddess tahu mckenzie I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful triumphs of nature in your beloved bubbles. And I'm super excited to have more time with you. And I thought that we could explore together as incredible human animals, the product of literally billions of years of life on earth, infinitely connected to all other life in a beautiful, loving, supportive web, the role of space and spaciousness in our interactions and in our self-care and connection and support of ourselves at this time so it's been really helping me today and i thought i would share with you now as we know we are at a very exciting time and we are being challenged to share our space and experience our space in quite a different way at the moment in our beloved bubbles and of course where we live beautiful Aotearoa New Zealand gives us so many wonderful lessons about the best way to do this thanks to evolving in isolation for 85 million years and of course in my role as education officer at Orokunui Eco Sanctuary I'm constantly blown away by all the wisdom and the teaching that comes from the real world and the way that this can help us throughout our lives to grow and thrive like our beautiful family members and space and spaciousness is a big part of this so evolutionary isolation creates strong bonds between species and we see this very much in our beautiful native forest ecosystem where now we only have one surviving bird the mighty kereru that can open its beak like pac-man or pac-woman literally a flip-top head swallow the fruit of our beautiful potter cup trees Tower, fly through the forest deposit the seed and this beautiful baby tree then has the spaciousness and the space to grow if the seed fell from the tree right next to its beautiful mother would not have enough space to survive and thrive and grow so that space is just integral to new things coming into this universe and we are all creating space at this time together so, once the little baby seed is deposited and growing into the ground, poo-lanted into the ground, it starts doing exactly what we are doing now from our bubbles. It starts to send out its little root fibres and make connections into the local environment, and it's greeted by microbial fungus that helps it link in with the fungal internet underground to communicate with its mum 
across kilometers and kilometers of the forest floor and they can then start exchanging nitrogen, carbon and keeping in touch with each other just like I'm doing with my beautiful mum on the other side of the planet in St Ives. And so at this time we're so lucky that we are so connected even if we have great space and spaciousness between us. I'm also really benefiting from a sense of spaciousness in terms of knowing that at any time I can access the spaciousness within, take a little step back from the emotions and the thoughts that are arising and recognize that I am the spaciousness that allows those thoughts to be, allows those emotions to be. And by taking that step back and disidentifying from the thoughts and emotions, I can appreciate that just like the infinite space that allowed our universe to come into being, my inner spaciousness, my consciousness, allows those thoughts and emotions to be without having to be them. Just in the same way that the space around the universe is not the universe itself. So really enjoying this sense of spaciousness also in my daily life in terms of getting enough sleep and having created a wonderful room for myself in the upper echelons of the Womanshan, I can get a good night's sleep and this is just benefiting me so much. Now, as we know, thanks to the wonderful framework of meaning based on love for the real world science, when we sleep, these fantastic gardeners come out into our brain forest and they prune away all of the unused and underutilized weeds, the synaptic connections that we're not using very much, and they strengthen those synaptic connections between neurons that we are using a lot. So we are in control of this process by focusing our attention and our thoughts on what we consciously want to, our brain actually assists us in strengthening those neural pathways so that really important neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin that help us feel really good and motivate us can be exchanged between neurons even more efficiently. And sleep is when this happens, when that space is there for that pruning and that gardening to take place so that new connections can grow and important connections that we have chosen can flourish. And also, if you have the opportunity to have a little rest and a little nap during the day, which I have been enjoying now that I am allowing myself, giving myself space to have weekends, this is completely unheard of, even a 20-minute nap can allow that same process of myelinization from the microglial gardeners to take place. So I hope that you're having a wonderful day, beautiful superstars. I hope that these reflections of our external forests and our internal brain forests can help you to find a place of space within and without in your beautiful beloved bubbles. And I'll look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks so much. Kakite. So what do you think we can learn from from this episode for the wider conceptions of sustainability, climate change, all, all those other sorts of things. I'll tell you what I think. I think that one of the things that we've realised is that we can do it. In the face of a threat, we can actually 
make significant changes. I haven't seen the carbon budgets in the last for the last few weeks, but no one's driving anywhere, no one's flying anywhere. Are we going to be flying in the next year? I doubt it. So given this threat, we can change. So what can how do we reposition climate change, which is as big a threat just longer term? How do we position that so that we people would actually respond to that? Any ideas? I guess it's the immediate life threateningness of a pandemic, potentially. But I guess there's also a political, there's a need for political engagement and leadership, right? Ultimately, if our leaders hadn't said anything, people would still be breathing on each other, shaking hands or whatever. If you look at parts of Scan, you know, parts of Scandinavia, people are still be very sexual in Sweden, for example. But, they, you know, even though there's a whole pan- global pandemic going on, it's been, I think there's a need for political leadership at all scales, right? Um, and demonstrating that we can do these things and reminding people, like, about the, I would say, moderate amount of sacrifice that a large group of people have had to make there's people you know i know we've been talking kind of about from our own kind of perspective as people who are still in work right now and do you know able to remote work and stuff um and have kind of space and there's a flexibility in the kind of work we do um that's allowed for it to be a bit more of a smooth or or easy transition um i think you know people have to i don't I, I, there needs to be some real disruption about that kind of those cultural and work and societal norms, and it pains me to say that like political leaders could do that because I you know I, I'm really excited about all the grassroots stuff that's happening too as a response, um, and so I guess that's that's the two prong model for me is kind of keeping on doing the grassroots things, but also pushing for more political leadership and do you think that's the right kind of ends of the spectrum the scales for those kinds of interventions i mean it feels a bit of a it feels a bit like i'm like um i don't know what i can do uh, leave it up to the politicians but i think that you know how can we go forward now and ignore what's just happened for the last months and go back to normal the normal kind of means and scales of production of travel of you know, carbon intensiveness, but also kind of like, you know, the health services are, you know, are in in need of some real big kind of shifts in support financially and and, and kind of development of their, you know, buildings and resources. You know, there's there's things that people need to take, should take notice of. And I would be deeply frustrated if it just kind of goes back to business as usual. And I suppose one of the things that we can do, as well as the um, the staying home, save lives kind of message, isn't it good that mm-hmm. it turns out that the superpower that we need is to sit on the sofa and watch TV? What can we do to affect that that political societal values, or, or to make sure that the political wing reflects the societal values? So, yeah actively support the politicians that are saying the stuff that you want to hear actively write letters to them to let them know what you think should happen 
Yeah, exactly. So, and so, so you're you... reminding them of what they've done as well in terms of their distancing, the kinds of you know changes to their routines they've had to make. You know, I know they don't re represent you know the norm person, but you know they've shifted and changed the way that they approach their daily lives, and it's so why can they not champion that? moving forward as well i think you know that pointing to those examples you know those lived experiences and reminding people is really important okay so i've nearly run out of time for my questions for the end you've had them all before so i'll just ask a couple of uh -huh. them biggest su biggest success you've had in the last couple of years wow uh, i guess it's it's getting married to my wife that was a huge success for me in <laughs> november of 2018 that was a bit well, it, you know it's a big a uh, big landmark event um you know meeting joe and everything i guess like proving to myself that i can write grants and do the kind of research work that i'm doing going contract to contract and exist in that kind of world you know we've all got a lot of baggage about imposter syndrome and stuff we get forced down certain pathways of career but you know like sticking it the thing and going contract to contract you know worked out and give me a lot of flexibility to do the work that i want to do and i've proven it by getting some grant success which has been super exciting i guess for getting recognition and working with great different people around the world it's been pretty awesome too you know yourself sam and all kinds of people um something we shouldn't take for for granted it's a very privileged position to be in to get to have such a dynamic and fulfilling work life um yeah, I think that's it. And, and I think actually kind of, you know, shaping some change and having some positive impact in different people's lives, both at work, you know, the colleagues I work with or the communities that I'm part of in my academic bubbles or and getting kind of involved politically as well. That's definitely very different from, I guess, you and I talking in 2014, right? You know, you asked me a question, do you think you're an activist? And I said no. And now it's a definite strong yes. So it's been an interesting journey. What's your superpower? Oh, my new superpower is living without caffeine. Believe it or not, <laughs> I am being caffeine free since like the 15th of March. I, knew, and I was like an eight, 10 cups of coffee a day kind of guy. And, and so that's, I think, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's really a superpower. But yeah, resilience in the face of caffeine. I'm going to go with that now. And what challenge are you looking forward to? I guess maintaining this kind of pace of life. I'm looking forward to being around people more. But kind of a, a, being in sync with Joe, being in sync with the people around me, being in sync with my parents and stuff, because we're all kind of going through this at the same time. I like One of the challenging things that I think I'm looking, you know, I look look to maintaining is kind of keeping up regular contacts and a kind of slower, more flexible lifestyle that's, you know, at home, at work, whatever, socially, um, that's kind of more balanced with other people. I know it's super vague and a bit wishy-washy, but that's, you know, I felt like there's been a lot of, a lot of conversation just a lot of support and a lot of people kind of you know going those extra miles and i i think that's going to be a challenging thing to keep going if things swing back to normal you know how they were before 
but I look forward to that. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Don't be afraid to have ideas and talk to people about them. Um, because, you know, or have ask questions. Because I guess one of the things I've always, you know, I struggled with in earlier life, forget the academic bubble thing, like was showing vulnerability, you know, and kind of like, pretending like I knew what people were talking about and feeling like an imposter and actually people are really happy to talk about things and explain them and that's how you get involved it's how you learn it's how you feel better as a person I know it can really be quite daunting asking silly questions um but people respect you for it too um and they remember you for talking um so you know do things that make you feel uncomfortable and ask you know silly questions when you don't understand things if you're intrigued, that's great. And keep, you know, being passionate. And find the passion as well. I definitely have struggled with that myself. <laughs> and so meeting people and talking to them about your ideas has really helped me a lot. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much, Sam. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world, brought to you by the Sustainable Lens team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook too. We've had contributions from Tahu McKenzie and Liesl Mitchell. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I've been joined today by Oliver Bates in Bolton in... It's not in Lancashire anymore, isn't it? It's Greater Manchester. No, it's Greater Manchester. I'm on the border between Greater Manchester and Lancashire. I thought it was in Lancashire. That was my hope too. Never mind. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.